I don't know how many of you were able to watch the presidential inauguration on Wednesday. I personally found it to be inspirational and hopeful and refreshingly positive. Now, there may be some people watching today or participating today who are supporters of the 45th president, President Trump. If you are, I'll pray for you. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but even if you are a Trump supporter, you have to admit that it's kind of nice um, not hearing his voice for a while. Uh, every day, America was always anxious and wondering <laughs> what crazy thing he's going to say or tweet next. Um, and personally, I'm actually going to miss some of his wild tweets. And it was very amusing and entertaining. <laughs> so let's take a walk down memory lane <laughs> and reminisce uh, from some of our favorite tweets from the 45th, uh, 45th president of the United States. Here is a tweet from May 18th, 2012. Uh, 2012. Let's take a closer look at that birth certificate. Barack Obama was described as being born in Kenya. Here's one from May 8th, 2013. Sorry, losers and haters, but my IQ is one of the highest, and you know it. Please don't feel so stupid or insecure. It's not your fault. And here's one from September 9th, 2014. Windmills are the greatest threat in the U.S. to both bald and golden eagles. Media claims fictional global warming is worse. Now, here are a few that he tweeted while he was a sitting president. This is from January 2nd, 2018. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un just stated that the nuclear button is on his desk at all times. Will someone from his depleted and food-starved regime please inform him that I too have a nuclear button, but it is much bigger and more powerful than his, and my button works. <laughs> all right, here's one from uh, March 18th, 2020. I have always treated the Chinese virus very seriously and have done a very good job from the beginning, including my very early decision to close the borders from China against the wishes of almost all. Many lives were saved. The fake news narrative is disgraceful and false. And last but not least, here is a relatively recent one from November 16, 2020. I won the election. Now. Uh, if these tweets are stirring up some negative emotions for you, I apologize. <laughs> but I thought that since he's no longer president, it's kind of fun reminiscing and remembering some of his most entertaining tweets. But of course, uh, our new president, President Joe Biden, is not without his fair share of flaws. And one of the biggest criticisms that people have of President Joe Biden is that he's too boring. Watching him give a speech is as exciting as watching paint dry. But you know what? After having a very exciting <laughs> and unpredictable president for the past four years, I don't mind a boring president uh, this time around. Donald Trump was many things, but one thing he is not is boring. We've had plenty of excitement for the past four years, and I just kind of want a president who sits in his Oval Office, does his work, and won't do too much talking or tweeting. And the whole reason why I bring this up is not just because 
the inauguration happened on Wednesday, but that certainly is the case. But being slow to speak is a quality that is undervalued in the 21st century. But it's something that's upheld by God, and it's upheld in today's passage. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to James chapter 1, verse 19, and then we're going to skip ahead to James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. If you do not have your Bibles, then it will be on the screen for you. James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And let's skip ahead to chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we who teach will be ju judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he or she says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boats. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Amen. So today we just read from the letter that is written by James. Now, the author of the book of James is none other than James, the brother of Jesus, or we should say half-brother of Jesus because they have a different baby daddy, uh, but they are both children of Mary. Now, many people automatically assume that this James was the brother of John, who was one of the 12 disciples and also has the nickname of being the son of Zebedee. But that is actually not the case. James was actually Jesus's younger brother. And what's interesting about James is that he actually didn't believe in Jesus's divinity. He actually didn't believe in the prophecy of Jesus as Messiah until after Jesus's death and resurrection. But can you really blame him? I don't know about you, but I think I would be very intimidated, frustrated, maybe even angry being the younger brother of Jesus. I mean, can you just imagine it, right? 
like no matter how much you accomplish in your life, you're never gonna live up to your older brother, <laughs> right? Like even if you like find a cure for cancer, it doesn't matter because, you know, Jesus is your older brother. And so I don't blame James for kind of waiting and, and refusing to follow his older brother um, and believing that he is the son of God. But once uh, he uh, witnessed Jesus' uh, death on the cross and resurrection three days later, he couldn't deny it. <laughs> He's like, all right, maybe you are the son of God. But so James eventually came around and he did have faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, and he made it his goal in life to serve Jesus and the church. In fact, Jesus was such a significant figure in the early church that he was the leader of the church in the great city of Jerusalem, which leads, which leads me and many other New Testament scholars to believe that James made it his mission in life to minister specifically to his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters. Besides, James himself was one of those skeptical Jews who was not sure whether or not Jesus was the real thing. And just consider how compelling James's testimony is to non-believing Jews in the first century. If Jesus were claiming to be the Son of God and his own brother didn't even believe him, that might be a deal-breaker. But James was one of the most passionate leaders that the church has ever seen, and he made it his mission in life to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with his fellow Israelites. This is evident in the beginning of the book of James when he addressed his letter to the 12 tribes of scattered uh, among the nations. Okay, and he is referring to the 12 tribes of Israel who were followers of Jesus Christ. So this is very, he makes it very clear that he is targeting his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters who are followers of Jesus Christ. Now, last week, you heard from Len, who preached from the Great Commission, found in Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. It's this idea that we are called to live the gospel and share the joy of this gospel with others. Now, when I was a young, naive Christian, I used to think that the sum of the gospel was the resurrection, being forgiven of our sins, dying to our old selves, and resurrecting to a new life. But now I'm realizing more and more that re the resurrection is only a part of the gospel. The gospel ultimately is all about bringing the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. The gospel is all about bringing the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. This is precisely why Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer, and in the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, the followers of Jesus are to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what Jesus was doing all throughout his ministry. This is what the four Gospels were about. And this is really what we are to live for, to live for the kingdom of God. And a big part of what it means to be a part of God's kingdom is living and behaving like citizens of heaven. And citizens of heaven speak a certain way. They act a certain way. They live a certain way. Citizens of heaven speak words of truth, hope, and peace. Citizens of heaven edify each other and spur each other on 
towards love and good works. And what James is teaching us in today's passage is that citizens of heaven are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Being slow to speak has lost its value in recent times. Nowadays, it seems like most people want to do the exact opposite of what James is recommending. It seems like most people are actually slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to get angry. Most people do not want to genuinely listen to others unless they absolutely have to, like unless they absolutely have to listen to their boss or maybe their college professor so that they could reap the rewards later on. This is exactly why James tells us what he does in uh, verse 1. He says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you, you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, I, I really love the message version of this verse, and it reads like this. Don't be in any rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is a highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the strictest standards, and none of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. Teachers are held to strict standards. They're judged more harshly. They're judged uh, more strictly. But by whom? When I first read this passage, like in high school or something like that, I think I automatically assume that teachers will be judged more harshly by God. But actually, uh, this verse, or this word right here, to be judged in the original language is plural. It's a plural verb, which means that there are multiple people judging you, ju judging teachers more strictly or more harshly. This means that teachers or leaders of any kind are judged more strictly, not by God, but by their peers, by other people. And what is the primary way that most of us teach? It is through words, either by speech or by written word. In the ancient world, oral tradition took precedence over written tradition, partly because most people in the ancient world could not read. Rabbis would sit down while, their, while his students were actually standing around him. It was the opposite of like today's classroom setting where we have like a teacher sitting up in the front of the classroom and every, all the other students are sitting down. It was the opposite, where the rabbi was sitting down and all the other students were standing, alert and attention. And the rabbis would teach by sharing stories or posing thoughtful and challenging questions. Philosopher in the Greek world would exchange ideas in the marketplace and dialogue and engage and intellection. Scribes and teachers of the law would read the Tanakh, which is to our Old Testament. They would read it out loud for those who were hungry for the word of God. And those of us who wield our words to teach others are viewed with more criticism. Therefore, it would take a long time before a teacher is given a platform to speak. They'd have to earn their way before they could actually uh, address uh, the public. They would have to get the right training, the, right, the proper credentials, and do their research and be well informed on a subject before they speak any word on it. But now, it seems like everyone has an opinion, 
and everyone needs their opinions to be heard. Everyone wants to be a leader, everyone wants to be a teacher, but nobody wants to be a follower, and very few people want to be genuine students. Why is that? Well, a big part of this is because of the internet. Social media has given everyone an opportunity to create their own platform and voice their opinions. Sometimes it's actually helpful because it gives those who are marginalized a louder voice, it shines a light on some wrong teachings, and it actually exposes uh, even some corrupt leaders. But most of the time, most of the time, especially on social media, what they're saying is pointless banter, or it can even cause division, or it can even be destructive, as we saw in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. How do you know what to pay attention to when everyone around you has a platform? Whose voice do you listen to when there are millions and millions of people speaking at the same time? And most of these opinions are strongly held, but weakly informed opinions. That seems to be a theme for a lot of people on social media these days, strongly held, but weakly informed opinions. And if everyone took James's advice in James 1.19 and chapter 3, the world would be a much better place. We all have moments like that, don't we? When we say something out loud and we almost immediately regret it. I mean, how many of you out there, okay, who are participating have said something out loud and you immediately regret it. And in moments like that, we typically say something to ourselves like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Why did I say that, right? And nowadays, um, moments like that kind of stop me in my tracks and make me wonder, like, why did I react that way? Or why, where did those words come from? I'm just going to share a very candid story with you all, if, if I may. Um, I think this was like uh, two years ago when I was taking my daughter, uh, who was uh, seven or six at the time, I was taking her to a swim class, right? And there's this um, indoor swimming pool in Pasadena where I took my daughter to, swim, uh, to her swim lesson. And uh, after the class, uh, I just let her swim in the pool for a little while while I'm watching her. And there was this uh, lady who sat down next to me, and she was watching uh, a kid uh, swim. And that that girl and my daughter were playing together and they were playing really well. They were around the same age and they were having fun. And then I leaned over to that lady and I said, oh, how old is your granddaughter? And the lady said, that's my daughter. And I went, oh, oh, okay. And then I was like, all right, Emily, get out of the pool. We gotta go, we gotta go, time's up, let's go. And I, as, as soon as like, oh my God, as soon as I said that, I was like, you know, kicking myself, and I was like, why did I say that? Why did I say that? And I'm sure we all have, like, stories like that where um, we don't think about it, right? We're, we're quick to speak, and uh, we instantly regret it. Now, um, when James is saying, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, this is not an affirmation for introverts to not talk, okay? Uh, if you actually read closely to what James said in 119, he actually says, be slow to speak, which means 
you should speak, <laughs> okay? Don't not speak, okay? He's actually saying, no, you should speak. Just get there a little bit slower. Uh, likewise, he also says, be slow to anger. It's okay to get angry sometimes, right? He's not saying, like, don't ever get angry, okay? He's saying, like, there are times when it's appropriate and even godly to get angry. When we see injustice happening, we're supposed to get angry about that, right? When we see uh, marginalized people who are continually getting oppressed, that should make us angry. But what James is saying here is be slow to anger. And when I think about the times when I'm quick to get, it, to get angry, it's usually because I'm in a bad place, right? It's usually because I'm tired or I'm sleepy or I'm stressed out or maybe I'm in some sort of like physical pain, okay, because I exercised or whatever. Um, times like that is when I get angry quickly. And so being quick to anger is usually the result of the subject's state of being, not the, the other person's actions. Now, why are these qualities so important? Being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Well, in today's passage, James lays out for us three reasons why being slow to speak is a good thing. It's a good quality to have, and it's what the people of God are supposed to embody. First, being slow to speak is wise. Being slow to speak is wise. Being slow to speak allows the Holy Spirit to give you better words. Not every thought you have needs to be said, and not every feeling that you feel makes it true, right? It makes whatever you're thinking true. Now, the word quick in uh, verse 19 can also be translated as eager. So another way to read uh, James 1.19 is be eager to listen. Be eager to listen. Now, when I shared that story of um, that stupid thing that I said during um, swim class, my daughter's swim class, I, I immediately realized how foolish it was to speak so quickly, right? If I were slower to speak in that specific uh, incident, I wouldn't have said something like that, right? I would have actually thought about it and like, you know, realized like, oh, I shouldn't just assume that this little girl is this lady's a, a granddaughter and that actually being slow to speak is more wise and it allows you time to process, uh, it allows you time to think, and it even gives you space for the Holy Spirit to give you better words than maybe the words that you would come up with yourself. And the other thing that this passage teaches us about being slow to speak is this. Being slow to speak is loving. Being slow to speak is loving. Let me ask you a question, okay? And just be really honest, and, you know, you're probably watching this or participating uh, at home, so there's nobody judging you. Do you ever ask someone a question not because you're genuinely interested in what that other person will say, but you ask it more because you want an opportunity to share something. <laughs> you ask them a question 
and they actually respond, and their response might be a little longer than you prefer, right? And so then you just interrupt them, and you go, yeah, 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 but let me tell you what I think. <laughs> I don't know how many of you have been in situations like that, but I've done that many, many times, right? Where I ask a question because I think I have something mind-blowing <laughs> to say, right? And so I ask this question, and the person responds, and I'm like, oh, okay, but let me tell you something better. <laughs> and then I go, uh, go ahead and share my mind-blowing truth or factoid, and it's usually almost never <laughs> my, as mind-blowing as I thought it's going to be. Most of the time, listening is actually a more loving thing to do than speaking. Listening is uh, more loving than speaking. When you listen, I mean you truly listen, with your ears and with your heart, you empathize and you feel what that other person is sharing and you're more present with them. Uh, some therapists, uh, some marriage and family therapists call this active listening, where you're really not just listening with your ears, but you're actually listening and engaging with your mind and in your heart. And let's take today's message for example, okay? I have here my notes that I'm, I'm reading off of, right? And when I prepare messages like this, the hardest part is actually not coming up with the words. The hardest part is actually removing the words. I've been in your seat many times where I'm sitting in the chair and I'm listening to a sermon. And I've been in sermons where the sermon goes on and on and on and on, where it's just the message alone is like over an hour long. And I don't know about you, but I can't sit through a message that long. And I'm a, I'm a pastor, right? I went to seminary, I studied theology, and I can't stand hour-long messages. And, um, and there are some people who like that, okay? Very, very special people, but it's a small minority of people who love hour-long messages, okay? But most people cannot digest more than 25 to 40-minute messages. So, like, the, the more loving thing for, for a pastor to do is actually cut words out, is actually say less. Because it's better to have a shorter message that's more impactful than a longer message where no one's going to remember anything. Right? And so, this, just what I'm trying to do here, right, by even cutting down my message to make it more uh, digestible, it, I'm, I'm hoping is a more loving thing to do. There is a pastor down in San Diego. His name is Zach Curry. He said this, responding is not the same as reacting. Responding is not the same as reacting. When we react, we simply want to speak, right? We, we want to speak because uh, we just want to talk. But when we respond, we truly connect with the other person. Now, there are times where reacting is fine, right? You're with, it, like, maybe some of your closest friends, and you're having fun. They say something, you say something back, and it's like it goes back and forth, kind of like ping pong or a tennis match. But when someone is really sharing something heavy or difficult or um, sincere, you don't want to just react and be quick to give advice or solutions, right? You actually want to be, as the scripture tells us today, quick to listen, 
and slow to speak, then you're really engaging in the conversation. Jesus did this all the time in his ministry. He did it all throughout his ministry. He did it all four, uh, uh, three years of his ministry. And uh, there are many situations uh, where he modeled this for us. And this is the last thing that today's passage teaches us about being slow to speak. Being slow to speak is mimicking Jesus. Being slow to speak is mimicking Jesus. Jesus is the greatest teacher to have ever lived. Even most non-Christians acknowledge that Jesus was a wise teacher. But do you know what his strategy was for effective teaching? It was by asking questions. When someone would approach Jesus, or someone with a genuinely curious mind, or maybe even someone who's trying to trap Jesus, right? And they approach Jesus, and they ask him a very, very difficult or important question. Jesus often responds by asking them another question. And instead of just Jesus receiving this question as an opportunity to lecture people, he uses this opportunity to dialogue. Some of the questions that he would ask is, what do you think? Or do you want to get well? Or why do you call me good? Or who do you say that I am? These are real questions that Jesus asked. And they would open up this dialogue between the rabbi, who is Jesus, and the student. And they would exchange, and Jesus would actually listen. He would actively listen to what they're saying, and he would respond to what they said. It, he, and he's not just thinking of, like, cookie-cutter answers. He's actually giving them a response to something very specific that they said. There are other instances where Jesus dialogued with people that you would just not expect him to dialogue. When Jesus met the woman at the well in John 4, he dialogued with her for quite a while and got to the meat of her life. When Jesus went to the home of Mary and Martha shortly after their brother Lazarus passed away, they were mourning and they were complaining to him about being late. And instead of rebutting them or saying anything in, re in response or in defense, he simply sat there and he grieved and he cried with them, listening to their complaints. In verse 9 of today's passage, in chapter 3, it says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. When we are quick to listen and slow to speak, we are living in the way of Jesus. You know, the one person that we can all listen to more is God himself. So I want to give us this opportunity in closing to listen to God. Let's just spend a couple minutes in silence, not giving God any kind of request, because even with prayer, we have a difficult time listening, 
right? Oftentimes we think that prayer is us uh, just speaking nonstop to God for like however long, but so much of prayer is actually sitting in silence and listening to God and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us because the Holy Spirit does speak to us and gently leads us, but oftentimes we just don't give the Holy Spirit space to speak. So in closing, um, let's just give a couple minutes of silence and allow God to speak to us, and then I will close us in prayer.